Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It is your sister and friend Adar, and you're listening to the Digital Sisterhood Podcast. Now, how have y'all been? Talk to me. How are y'all feeling? How are you guys liking the stories? Judging from reading all your reflections on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram, seems like to me, you guys are enjoying it just as much as I am. So far in Love Temper, we've covered so many kinds of love. But today's episode is a little bit different, just on the fact that it's not just talking about a relationship with another person, although we do see some beautiful relationships being highlighted in this story. Instead, our guest Alia shares her beautiful journey of falling in love with the Qur'an. Y'all know I love a good story, especially a good story about the Qur'an. I mean, if I didn't, I probably would have never started this podcast. But think about it. How often do we sit down and enjoy the stories of the Qur'an? How often do we connect to the words and reflect on the ayats we're reading? And more importantly, how often do we see the Qur'an as a trusted friend? I want you guys to keep these questions in the back of your mind as Aliyah takes us on this incredible journey. So without further ado, let's get into it, okay? All right. Bismillah. I was raised by a single mother. So I haven't seen my father since I was maybe four, three, four years old. So I couldn't tell you how his personality is because I never lived with him. I have a relationship with him today, alhamdulillah. But I wouldn't say I grew up in the most traditional Somali household. I was my mom's first child and my dad's first child. So I moved a lot because my dad moved a lot for work. I was born in Saudi and then I moved to Somalia and then I moved to Uganda and then I moved to Dubai and then I moved back to Uganda and then I moved to Norway. Wow. First 10 years of my life, I was just bouncing back and forth. Yeah, so I, I can't remember much from my childhood, to be honest. Mm. When we were in Somalia, both my parents used to work or used to travel for work. So they used to leave us with my grandparents. And oh, Ayaya, oh my gosh, she is truly the love of my life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on her and make her grave wasa. And may he grant her with the highest part of Jannah. She truly is a woman. She was an orphan. So she also had a very rough life. But she is the, the definition of a warrior, a strong human being that nobody can, like, you can throw whatever you want at her and she'll take it with the most gracious smile and just stand there and be like, okay, let's make a, a plan. Let's handle this. But um, my brother, he was a very picky eater and whatever I wanted like I couldn't care but just to make him laugh and to make us laugh and just like for, for, in order for him to eat she she's like you know what if you finish your food I'm gonna run um the whole villa I'm gonna run and she's quite old mind you so and he was like really you're gonna run she's like yes if you if you finish Aww. your plate then i'm gonna i'm gonna run and we're gonna compete with each other she was like okay um so he finished his plate and we're just sitting at the dining table and she is just running she's not running she's jogging <laughs> just like with her alone vertically just imagine with her body and her hair so relaxed and we're just like ah just having the time of our life <laughs> yeah he's running oh my god she is ready. Yeah. <laughs> so, subhanAllah, that will give you like a, a little bit of who she was. But she was my best friend. She was the person I used to look up to. She was my comfort blanket. How did she kind of introduce you with your relationship with the Quran? My, my grandma couldn't read or write. So she was not able to mm. study or to like pick up almost half and read it for herself. So what she would do was, Alia, come here, sit next to me and read for me some Quran. And then she would be like, oh, your voice is so soothing. Please continue. And then she would just fall asleep. And that made me the happiest girl on this earth. I was like, oh, yes. Like, 
And she would do this frequently. She'd be like, come just recite Surah Fatiha for me. And then she'd be like, oh, my arm hurts. Come read Quran on it. Oh, my knee hurts. Come read Quran on it. <laughs> and then she'd be, she's like, oh, I don't want to eat food. But you know what? I think um, my appetite would be what is going to open up if you read some Quran for me. <laughs> she'd do anything just to make me recite. So... My grandfather, he used to read every single day, Fajr and after Asr, and nobody could interrupt him. Like, this was his time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This was his energy booster. And like, this was like his therapy session with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and I used to just be like, yeah, that's very cool. Like as a kid, when I think about it, I used to be so mesmerized by him being so like on routine and he would recite out loud and he was not shy of it. And I think that's where I also get from. I've never shied away from reciting the Quran like within people or like in front of people. Um, Even though I've had difficulties with reciting the Quran and I would stutter and, and so on because he would say, don't shy away from the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's not something to shy away from. And then after that, like, I was put into both school and Duxi Quran school as well. And I had a very kind, very gentle teacher, Allah Mubarak. We had a big classroom. We were separated, boys and girls, with a curtain. I remember even the outfits we used to wear, like a green jilbab. So... I got to learn the Arabic alphabets there, how to read the Quran there. Like, you know, when you put together like different letters, Arabic letters and those type of like curriculums. And then we memorized a few surahs from Jazama. And then we did the big move to Uganda Mm. and we moved just for a better life, I guess, for us, the kids. It wasn't just me and my uh, brother it was also like my cousins and my grandma mm-hmm. we all did the move because of like the war going on mm-hmm. and once we got there we of course started at the Quran school despite her fond early memories with the Quran Aliyah found herself beginning to shy away from the same book that once brought her utmost comfort I hated Duxi. I hate. I hated um, Quran school. That was my thing. I really hated. It. I used to look. Oh, I would find every excuse in the book to not go. But my mom is so stubborn. She'd be like, "No, I don't care." And I would be like, "I'm so sick. My stomach hurts." And she'd be like, "No, uh, it's okay. Like the Quran is shifa. It's a cure for everything. So when you go there, then you're gonna get the strength and you're gonna be fine." But I'm not gonna lie. I hated it. Like I hated Duxi. It was like a nightmare because everyone was just so dismissive of my ability. They just thought I was just a hard-headed kid that didn't want to learn. Throughout the Quran, we see so many stories of sibling rivalry. I mean, for example, Habil Qabil, Yusuf Ali Salam and his brothers. These stories serve as an example of major fitna that unfortunately our communities continue to perpetuate. I know all my firstborn daughters can really relate to this, but there's a special kind of pressure that comes with being the eldest child in an ethnic household. But getting overshadowed by a younger sibling, I mean, that's a different type of pain. Me and my brother, we would get up every morning after Fajr, we wouldn't, go, we wouldn't go back to sleep. I would memorize my portion and he would memorize his portion. And the first thing I noticed was, um, you're younger than me. You don't have the same knowledge as me. And you're doing this quicker than me. What's happening? What's wrong? What's, like, I didn't even think what's wrong with me. My first thought was, something's not adding up. So... Come to find out later, Allah Mubarak, he has a photographic memory. So you can just look at a page and he's like, I'm oh, done. Wow. Oh, Allah Mubarak. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a photographic memory with the Quran. Are you kidding me? Oh, what? The greatest gift. Allah what a gift. gift. What a gift. Allah Mubarak. 
Allah Mubarak. That's Allah amazing. Mubarak. And he's just like, but you know, just just open the mushaf and just look at it, read it like maybe once or twice, and then you're good to good you're good to go. I would look at him, but no, that's not that's it's not that easy for me. And then people around us started noticing and they would start comparing us. And as the oldest, you're always supposed to be the best and you're supposed to be the mm. compass for the whole family. You're supposed mm. to lead your siblings. And when people are like, oh, you're just a demean. And demean, that's when it started within the family before even the teachers started saying. They called you a demean? Yeah, basically an idiot. Like demean means like dumb. Like basically. Dumb, stupid, idiot. Like whatever words that really target your intelligence or yes. ability to do something is what a demean is. SubhanAllah. And they called you that while memorizing Quran? Yeah. That's kind of insane. It's just a norm. Language is just, wow. And I would be like, no, I'm not demean. Like, would stop saying that. I just need to, like, it's just hard. I just find it hard. And then... I would go to the to the teacher and he'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, recite, go ahead. I would start the first ayah and barely make it through a book. I'm sorry. It's like, okay, it's okay. Go ahead. Like, go ahead and sit down and like, you have four, four, go through it five more times. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back to him and he would be like, what's wrong with you? You had all day yesterday and like your brother, look at him. He, like you guys come from the same household. You can't even say like nobody's helping you. Um, Like you, you don't have any excuses. Like if your brother can do it, then you can do it. And then like, like that would go on. I would take the same portion. I would go home. And my mom would look at me with the most disappointing face. Like, what's wrong? Like you were sitting there all day long, like all morning and you couldn't like even, not even one ayah. I'd be like, no, not even one ayah. And then she'd be like, okay, it's fine. My mom's best friend was a hafiz and she would be like, um, your auntie can help you. Mm -hmm. So I would go to her, I'd be like, help me. And then the same thing, I wouldn't get it. Um, if I got it, it was very like, it wasn't good. It was not like, what would you say in like some other say gaja gaja. It's like broken. I would literally break up, every, break like every word, and then, um. So I would have like the same portion maybe for two three weeks, and that is bad because my portions were very small. It's like three, four lines, mm. and the kids would just pass me, and then. I became the demean in the family, the demean in the classroom. And I would just cry sometimes, be like, I am trying. I would come back from school. I would pick up the mushaf. I wouldn't even eat. I'd be like, I need to get this thing right. I need to get it right. But then that's where my grandma comes in. She'd be like, you know, yeah, your brother is very good at it, but you can also become good at it. She's like, you don't have to compete with him. You only have to compete with yourself. And my grandparents went for Hajj, so, so they brought with them the cassettes, like the recordings of Sheikh Shuraim and Sudais. <laughs> So I would learn that way. Like I would listen to my portion and then <laughs> I would pause it and then I would like put it back all the way to my portion again. It was a struggle, but I did it. What would happen to the letters in the Quran when you would try to read them? If I was like, if I'm going to be honest, it was gibberish. It was like, even though I knew what Alif was, Bat was, it was like, what am I looking at? It would just, it would just jump all over, becoming a whole soup. In my head, it was like putting everything together. And then I would jump over certain words and I would just continue. If a word had a fatha, I would recite it with kasra and I would do it all the time. A lot of people do it like that's just like one thing that is common, like mixing up the harakats and things. But me, it was severe. It was bad. It was like, are you even looking at the mushaf? <laughs> like, are you even seeing what I'm trying? Oh, no. <laughs> Subhanallah. 
And and I couldn't explain it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to say. But so the words the words would look different. Yeah, the words would did look the wor- different. Did the words also switch? Would you see things like switch? Yeah, and you could tell it really? by how I would recite. Like let's say, let's say I would recite Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I'm reciting Rahmani Bismillahirrahmani. I would literally mix up things. Due to the Somali Civil War, the early years of Aliyah's life were full of turmoil. When she was just nine years old, Aliyah's parents sent her to live with extended family in Norway in hopes of joining her later. I mean, this was the loneliest point in young Aliyah's life. She was bullied at school and at home, separated from her beloved Ayaya, and living in a country where she couldn't even speak the language. So I was away from my mom and my brother and the rest of my family for a good, I think, three, four years. I was living with family members that I never met before. I I obviously knew who they were, but I never encountered. What was it like growing up without your parents? You went from being with them 24-7 to not growing up in a country, first of all, filled with people who look nothing like you. Essentially by yourself, does not speak your language. What was that like, subhanAllah? That was very scary. I'm not going to lie to you. As a child, like all you want is food, a playground, mm-hmm. and your parents. And you're good to go. And your friends. Mm-hmm. Even like if some mm-hmm. kids don't even need friends. They're just, they're mm-hmm. happy with their books and their toys. And they are not that, that attached to social life. But they need adults around them those that keep them safe and keep them warm and keep them fed and look after them so I did have all those things but technically it was from strangers Mm. so growing up I was a very sad and lonely kid because when I came and started school I didn't speak the language obviously and I didn't know the culture um so I was just a very sad and just I would cry literally every single night. I think that's what also pushed me. I would have a really bad day. And I just look over to my window because I had a mushaf on top of the shelf next to the window. And I was like, that's something I can read from. That's something I can find comfort in. If I pick this mushaf up, then it's like I am closer. I'm very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He will help me through this situation. I know that he... Because one thing that my mom taught me was, Allah has more rahmah over you than I will ever have over you. Mm. And I have that so dear. Today, I use that. Like, I know that Allah had more rahmah over me than anybody could have when I was a child. All the things that I experienced and all the things that I went through, Allah had the utmost rahmah over me in those situations. He took care of me. So when I looked over to the Quran, I remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I also remembered my ayayu. Those two things were like my comfort places. I didn't know what I was reciting, but all I knew was I would find comfort in reciting the Quran. I knew I couldn't do it with excellence, but I knew mm. I could recite it. I, I did memorize a lot of at least maybe 10 edges at that point. So I would pick it up and I would sit there crying and crying and just pouring my whole heart into these ayats. And I would just feel like, ah, oh, I can take on the world. I still have that must have till this day and I'm planning on giving it to my daughter. I don't want to change anything from it. Like, I still have the markings from my ma'alim. Things finally started to look up for Alia. I mean, her mother and brother joined her and they began to build a life together once more. But then, only just three months later, the family get a call that once again flips Alia's life upside down. One day, my uncle called my mom and he's like, Koi is in the hospital. And I'm like, this is it. She's going to die. She's going to die. And everyone around me like, stop saying that. I was like, oh, watch. Just give her a few days. SubhanAllah, three days after that phone call, my grandma passed away. 
but the thing is, when I said she's gonna die, I like I never comprehended it what it meant. So when my grandma passed away, I was in shock. Everyone else was crying around me, but I wasn't crying. I was just going on with my day. I was going to school. I was coming back, and then after like the tasia period finished and everything settled and everyone's like getting over it, not getting over it, but like coming back to reality and going back to work and things are slowly getting easier for them. That's when I started crying because that's when I realized for the first time what death meant. Mm. I could call, but she wouldn't be able to answer. I couldn't touch her even if I wanted to touch her. I wouldn't be able to see her face, but she once existed. She used to breathe, but she's not breathing anymore. She was a flesh, but now she's like six feet under. She's just the person that existed. She doesn't exist anymore. To me, that was so fascinating. And I was like, subhanAllah. That's when in my head, like, my brain literally understood what it meant to be alive and then to be dead. And I also understood, mm. you're not promised tomorrow. And I was like, like, imagine as a kid, someone so close to you just passing away. Like, I can't... I can't, I can't call her. I can I can't be like, Ayaya, how are you today? Mm-hmm. I can't tell her stories. She can't tell me stories. I can't hug her anymore. And that's what I've been longing for. Mm-hmm. To me, that was like, whoa. And I just broke down. I would cry day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, regretting that I wasn't speaking to her every single day, regretting that I didn't tell her that I, I loved her, regretting that I didn't hug her enough, regretting that I didn't kiss on her face enough. And I was like, oh, I just started making that every single day. Allah, let us meet in Jannah because I know that's forever. That's the meaning of infinity. All these things are happening as a 13-year-old in my brain. And I'm just like, whoa, like what's going on? This is what life really means. Like you have the beginning and you have an end. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have a beginning or an end. He's the one that will always exist and has always existed. And that's when I just let go of dunya. And when I say let go of dunya, wallahi, I mean let go of dunya. I didn't care if a kid had like the latest shoes or the latest clothes. I was like, oh, that doesn't even mean anything. Like there's always going to be something better. Because I would always think of, my mom literally thought I was a depressed kid. Wow. Me and her one day, subhanAllah, we were going for a walk. And I was like, mom, I just, I don't like this dunya. And she looked at me, she's like, what do you mean? What happened? I was like, this dunya like, is so sad. I was like, one day the person you love is here and the other one is gone. I was like, of course you can enjoy the things that are good. Like, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be here. I don't want to die. But I was like, I just don't like this dunya. It is full of sadness and sorrow and agony and just it's full of trial. And my mom would just be like, well, we need to have a sit down. Like, what's going on? It's like, are the people still being at school? I was like, no, just like, this is just what dunya means. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, I was like, like all these things that are happening, like whatever came our way, my mom got sick in a period of time. I was never afraid. You know what I thought? I was like, oh, it's time for me to maybe like stop working and taking care of my brother. It's fine. If my mom passes away, it's okay. Inshallah, we'll meet in Jannah. Wow. What 13 year old like, thinks like that? SubhanAllah. SubhanAllah. Not a, not a 13 year old, I know. It it seems like, and I know it sounds so weird, but it seems like you woke up from your slumber. Yeah, literally. You know, there's a time where a Muslim wakes up, you know, and Allah SWT wakes up and they see everything. Like this unveiling, you know, this unveiling. Yeah. And like, oftentimes you hear that from people who are older. You know, when they go through like an unveiling or a trial and it's like for the first time they can see the dunya in 6K to like, this is the dunya. The illusion disappears. And you just see it for what it is, subhanAllah. But that happened to you at 13 years old. Literally. Wow. So what happened like after, you know, you're in this headspace, the journey became maybe different. Can you explain to me like how it was different? 
Okay, so now I understood having the Qur'an in your heart doesn't mean memorizing it from the top of your head. Having the Qur'an in your heart means learning the words of Allah in a way where you can act upon them. Your khuluq, your character can become the Qur'an. In order for you to become from Ahlul Qur'an, from the people of Qur'an, you don't have to be those that read it with excellence or like memorize it. All you have to do is be true with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then true to yourself and your intentions and just take it from there. Ayah for ayah. Let it take 100 years as long as you're doing it for the sake of Allah. Learning these ayahs means you're trying to become a better person so you can get into Jannah and see Allah's face. That's what I also understood what the biggest reward in Jannah is to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mm. face and to be with those that you love the most. Through this period of immense, immense difficulty, Aliyah found herself with one trusted friend, her Mus'haf, which reawakened her sense of purpose and love for the deen. When reading stories of the prophets, even our beloved Maryam salam, which was a common thread between them of a period of isolation, which only brought them closer to Allah. When people expected a high level of perfection from her, Aliyah turned to her creator, who she knew loved her and accepted her as is. Even when no one was by her side, he, he was always there. Aliyah started attending a new duksi in Norway, which began to heal the wounds from her traumatic experiences in Uganda in a way that she could have never imagined. I was so nervous. I was very nervous. I just come in with my most half just like so shy. Imagine this little girl just like, she doesn't know the language. She's not dressed as these other kids. Mm. And I'm just walking into the Dixie and the man is just like, Sai, come like, welcome. And I'm like, why you say that? And I just go sit in the back of the Dixie. And it's like a classroom. Mm. The way it's set up is like, I'm in school. And these kids are behaving however they want to behave. There is no structure. Mm. They come in and go as they both please. To me, I was like, whoa, what's happening? It was a culture shock, literally. Mm -hmm. This is not how I know Dixie is supposed to be. So I sit at the back of the classroom and my Quran teacher, I look at him and he is this old, sweet guy, Lama Barak. His head is basically all white and he has the most beautiful smile. Like imagine, and he has the dark part in his forehead, like from the prayer, Allah and he's like, Alia, come, you're, like, you're going to recite for me. I want to test like how your recitation is. And when I tell you, my hands are sweating and I'm like, me? I, I, I literally ask him, I'm like me? He's like, yeah, you. And I go up to him and he's like, okay, go on. Like, where did you last memorize from? And it's Surah Hajj. And then he's like, okay, where did you stop? Which ayah? And I told him the ayah. And then he was like, okay, um, let's see. Do you want to start all over? Or do you want to, from Surah Hajj till Nas, do you want to do that as murajah, repetition? I was like, uh-uh, in my head, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not starting all over again. No, it's not happening. I just want to get to Bakara and finish khalas. I just want to close this and put it to the side. Even though I love the Quran and I would read it like in secret all by myself, just between me and Allah. So he's like, okay, if that's what you're comfortable with, then that's what you want to do. And then he asked me, he was like, do you memorize from on top of your head or do you, do you just read from the Mus'ha? I looked at him, is that an option? <laughs> Like, what do you mean? <laughs> because you're like, oh, I could choose? Like, you know? I know. In my head, I'm like, that was never an option. So no. what's she talking not about? You got oh, the, man. Not in Uganda. <laughs> no, that was not an option. Yeah. Either you come with your head or you don't come at all. It was like, you come with the like, Quran in your head or you don't come at all. Yeah. So I'm like... Because, and then I was like, okay, uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm stuttering, literally. I recited to him like half a page. He's like, that's good. 
I'm like, you're telling me I'm good at something? Mm. Whoa. That is the first time. Because in my head, when it comes to Quran and teachers, they don't tell me I'm good. They always tell me, mm, okay, do you want to go and redo this? That's that's like just the standard for me. And he's telling me, oh, you're maharaj, you're good. Like you just missed a few um, harakats here and there. Give me your mushaf. I'm going to mark them for you. And the next time when you get your nurashir, you can just go over them and do better. Okay? Wow. Excuse me? Wow. Are you even a mali? <laughs> What's this? Who's this person? <laughs> Allah, when I tell you, I was so shocked. I was shocked. Yeah. So... I was like, okay, thank you. I went back. Wallahi, can you believe I became his right hand, this Muhammad? Really? You became his Kabir? Yes, I became his Kabir. No way. You went from, it's a rags to riches story. You went from being the poor man and you went to the rich girl. Two seconds. The globe was crazy. We know what it was. The standard was so low. The standard was like four. So me coming and memorizing till Hajj. I was like already his favorite student. I wasn't already his favorite student, but I became his favorite student like with time because I would behave. I had really good manners. I would call him Mahalim. If I was one minute late, I'd be like, I'm so sorry. The bus was late. Or I would be the kid that would come 10 minutes early before class started. And I would sit there with my chair pushed all the way into the table with my back all straight and just like having my mushaf there. All I would do literally was read during the class. I didn't have friends, so I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have a phone to be like playing because kids would have like, they would make their mushaf like stand and then they would like be on their phones. I didn't have a phone. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a phone until like, I was like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. Or I would have to leave at the house before I went to Duxi. So he just loved me because of my manners, mannerism, and how I was speaking to him and how seriously I would take the Quran. And he didn't know. I fell in love with the Quran more and more because of his treatment towards me. Mm. And his encouraging words. And how he would always tell me, you recite the Quran with the utmost beautiful voice. Like he would say this in front of my brother. I was never better than my brother when it came to Quran. (laughs) What do you mean? Excuse me? This guy and me, we don't compete. He's already like a winner. Always, Mm. ever. Like Mm. he's always been this. So, subhanAllah, the more I did that, I just felt more and more and more and more in love with teaching the Qur'an, and I picked up his ways of being with his students. Trust me, he had like his moments, but he wasn't ever harsh with me. He would tell me, like, what's up? What's happening? Like, I know you can do better. I know like, Allah has given you a brain. Use it. Like, he would say things like that, like, you'll use your brain. That's what he would say. But he would never call me a Daniel. He would never call me an idiot. Mm. But I would also see how he would treat other kids. There were kids that literally would come there and if they could spit in his face, they would do it. So he would treat them with harshness, you know? Mm. He would treat every kid with how they would respond to him. In the sense of like, if that was appropriate for this kid, then that's how we would deal with this kid. Mm. If this kid had to be thrown out of the classroom to show that this is not okay, he would do that. If he had to call their parents, he would call their parents. My mom never called my teacher. And this was like a routine thing. Every single day, every single time we had Quran, you would call someone's parents. Wow. SubhanAllah. <laughs> Me? Alhamdulillah. The yeah. only time he called was maybe if the bill was late. He'd be like, oh yeah, <laughs> Alia and her brother like never came with the money. Yeah, yeah. it's like time for yeah. them to... Uh, and then my mom would be like, yeah, yeah, I'll, like, I'm sorry, I forgot about it. And then that's the only time. It wasn't just Alia's Quran teacher that helped her feel good about herself. Like a light at the end of the tunnel, Alia finally got an answer. She was not a demean, an idiot. And her struggles with reading the Quran were not indicative of her efforts nor abilities. Matter of fact, a medical diagnosis held the missing puzzle piece. And it was called dyslexia. I got diagnosed when I was 12 
But when I got my diagnosis, I was still very new to the Norwegian language. Mm. And when like my mom found out about it, she was like, oh, my daughter doesn't have this. So she was so oblivious to it. So to me, I was not allowed to speak of it. So like when I got the diagnosis and my teachers were like, yeah, you have this disability because it is literally a learning disability. Mm-hmm. So my diagnosis was very much ignored up until I was in eighth grade, I think when I was 14. Yeah. So you, so you knew about this learning disability when you started to see Norway, not? Yeah, I knew about mm-hmm. it. Yes. But at the same time, I didn't really know what it meant Mm. because when my mom would get these texts or like this letter from the school and things, she would just be like, my daughter doesn't have this. This is why people are just talking mad things. Like they don't know what they were doing type Mm -hmm. of thing because it's just a thing. I feel like as Somalis sometimes we just like, what do you mean? My daughter can't read. She can read, Mm. you know, what do you mean? Your daughter has difficulties with spelling and things. She can spell. What do you mean? Mm. You know, they don't understand like the bigger picture. And and I feel like sometimes just like it's a miscommunication. Like if someone that they trust doesn't explain it to them, then it's just like something that's crazy. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it's survival. Yeah. Our parents came here, you know, and they're, they're on defense, right? They just want us not to have the opportunities that everybody else has, you know? And that's what it looks like to them. Like somebody's trying to shut the door on their kid. Yeah. And say, you know, they'll never succeed or get this or get that. I know that you guys put it behind you when you did a test for dyslexia. And you said you didn't really understand it. But at at any point, did the diagnosis bring you peace after being called a a demean? Like, it was a relief because also I am putting in the right amount of effort. It's just there's something wrong with me. Why is there something wrong with me? You know? Mm Mm-hmm. And then came all these questions like, but what does that mean? Like, I can spell and I can read and I can do all these things. But, okay, so I'm slow. It's that with, like, why am I slow then? Mm. So in my head, it was both. Like, okay, I am putting in the amount of effort that I'm supposed to put in. But I'm also disabled in a way. Mm-hmm. And this became an insecurity. And I started to hide, like, very deep down. I wouldn't talk about it because every time I would tell my parents or I would say, yeah, it's because I had dyslexia. Look, stop using that as an excuse. Mm. It was just trying to put you down. Like, they're just trying to put you behind everyone else. If you put in, like, the amount, like, just, they were like, sometimes I would hear, like, stop wasting the papers and the pencils, like, if you're not going to do it right, then just stop doing it at all. I feel like as Somalis, we just have a very harsh way of like, the, the tough love is just to another different level when it comes to like, It's just different. And I feel like a lot of us are suffering with dyslexia or different things. Sometimes it's just difficulties that we cannot do anything about. Mm-hmm. And the people around us are just saying, you're the problem. You're just lazy. You're just a kid that's hard-headed. Oh, that, that one, that's the thing. Hard-headed. Mm. You're just a kid that refuses to get things done. You're just a kid that does not have ambitions. What kid does not want to get A's in school? Mm. Which kid doesn't want to play sports and become like an elite in it? Every kid, I feel like, wants to be great at everything that they do. Whether it is like sprinting, riding, like it's just everything I well, this is a core belief. Every kid wants to be praised by their teachers, by their parents, and they also want to be praised by their friends. Everyone wants to win that medal. Mm-hmm. But subhanAllah, first of all, life is just tough and all of us can't be the ones that get the medal. That's just how life works. But as a kid, trust me, if there is a reward you will try to get that candy. You will try to get that medal. You will try to get that praise from your parents. You will try to get like whatever it means to get the number one kid that gets the attention. Even if you're the shyest kid, you will want that spanable. Mm-hmm. And that's just the nature in humans. They like to compete with each other. 
But when you always say, oh, you're just lazy. Oh, you're just this. As a kid, for me, it's just like, I, I, I don't believe it. A kid being lazy in sports, okay, they, they might not like it. But if there is a price to win, oh, they will, they will do everything. Mm-hmm. Except if there is a disability for them that's stopping them. We often hear that Allah tests those he loves. And for Aliyah, the test did not stop at her disability. Allah sent her yet another challenge. But this time, it came with some strange insights. I got sick. And when I got sick, I got like loss of memory. Really? I had to really... I couldn't remember none of my closest people. I forgot the timeline. I forgot where I was, where I was living. And subhanAllah, the only thing I could remember was the Mus'haf, the Qur'an. So um, my husband would give me the Mus'haf and I would just recite um, Surah Baqarah um, on top of my head. And that was a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. SubhanAllah. My muraja'ah is not good, that good. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I promise you. The best maybe the first 20, not even that, 15 pages of Surah Baqarah, maybe I get two, three mistakes. But the rest, it is not that good. But he said, you did not make one mistake. Allahu Akbar. Not one mistake. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And he was just like, yes, continue. And alhamdulillah, after three days, I was better. Wow. I was back to my old self. Subhanallah. We were just amazed. Oh, what a what a place to be found. You know? Like, <laughs> imagine you're lost, right? Everyone gets lost somewhere, Alia. That's life. We all get lost. But if I could choose where I get lost in, and they know they can find me here, if I come back here, would be the book of Allah. You know what that means, right? That means a piece of you is attached to the Quran. You know? Mm. SubhanAllah. Yeah. What an honor, like, to have that kind of... <laughs> I'm sorry, Ali, I know you're getting emotional. <laughs> but I'm getting emotional because I wish that was my case. You know? Like, I wish I could say that that's my problem. You know, that if I were to get lost, I was close to the Book of Allah that much. Pain and loss are factors of life. There's no escaping the mental, physical, and emotional trials they bring. But how we choose to make sense of these struggles is what determines how they will shape our lives moving forward. Alia roots her understanding of her unique journey through the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I would say, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in the Ma'al-Rasri me having dyslexia is just a hardship, but there is also ease. Alhamdulillah, I am so grateful for my dyslexia because of what it has brought to my life and the type of person that it has shaped me into. But all the hardships and all the things that I went through on my grandma's passing, me living without my parents and my family and being essentially bullied in school and also being severely sick. All this only proves that there is also ease in it and the ease has always been the Qur'an. Because once Allah promises something, he never breaks it. There were hardships, but there was also ease and the ease was going always back to the Qur'an, finding my comfort and finding my my home, essentially, which is also Jannah. Qur'an is our home. It is where we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is where we get to know him and where we get to know us because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about us in the Quran and how we should be as human beings. Let's say something as simple as you want to become a better person. Yes, you can pick up a book where a human being has written and it's so philosophical, but it will never truly make you reach your potential. In the Qur'an, you find how to practice tawakkul, how to become a human being, how to act when someone does you wrong. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلْيَعْفُوا وَلْيَسْفَحُوا عَلَى تُحِبُّونَ أَنْ يَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورُ الرَّحِيمُ And that ayah means, وَلْيَعْفُوا وَلْيَسْفَحُوا Forgive. Don't you want to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We all go through scenarios in life where we find it so hard to forgive people. But then when you look into the Qur'an, you're like, oh, okay, I should forgive because essentially I want to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or let's go back to Surah Ashura, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us three different scenarios when it comes to forgiving. Either you do, like if someone calls you, you're dumb, okay, you go ahead and you say you're dumb as well. That is allowed in Islam. Or you look the other way. I'm just talking about when it comes to your character, when it comes to how you're supposed to be with other people. But the Qur'an is essentially a map for your whole life. So it only makes sense to get to know that map in order for you to get to the right destination, which is Jannah. What I went through is for Allah to open up my eyes to the world and what it actually means to be living in the dunya. The Qur'an gives me that hope. It gives me that push, it gives me that motivation to work harder every single day, to become a better person and to be a good slave. And you know what's so amazing about finding true love in the Qur'an? It will never break your heart. You know, like the love that you have with other people, essentially like whether it is like you get into conflict with them, like you will truly see them for who they are one way or another. Even like our mothers, like, you know that love that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put in them for us, the mother for her child and the child for their mom. It will like, if you push the right buttons, Allahi, you will see that that love is not like the type of love that is between Allah and his slaves. And it will break your heart one way or another. There is an ayah specifically, Wallahi, I come to play upon it so much now that I have my own family. It is in Surah Mumtahina, I think, verse 3. Allah says, لَن تَنْفَعَكُمْ أَرْحَامُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَكُمْ And when I think about this ayah, Allah saying, لَن تَنْفَعَكُمْ أَرْحَامُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ يَفْصِلُ بَيْنَكُمْ Never will your relatives or your children benefit you. And on the day of judgment, he will judge between you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends the ayah with, Allah knows what you are doing and he sees it. And when I think about subhanAllah this, I can love my mother and my brother and my kids and my husband and my friends and all these people so that are so dear to my heart. But essentially on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will separate us and then he will make judgment between us. SubhanAllah, where I always say this, I think he taught me to not love someone to that level other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah does not make any mistakes and he is Allah Rabbul Alameen. He's the one that created you. He knows you better than yourself and he's closer to you than your juggler vein. If you want to love someone, love Allah. It always goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you are alone and you have Allah, Allah, you have everything that you need in this dunya. If you have Allah, that is more than enough for you. Imagine, subhanAllah, when you think about the people in Jannah, most of them are from the fuqara. They did not have anything in this life except knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that was more than enough because they knew that he was the one that was taking care of all of their affairs. You have Allah's love, you have everything you need in this life and more. A'udhu billahi minash رَبِّ قَدْ آتَيْتَنِي مِنَ الْمُلْكِ وَعَلَّمْتَنِي مِنْ تَأْوِيلِ الْأَحَادِيثِ فَاطِرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَنْتَ وَلِيِّي فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ تَوَفَّنِي مُسْلِمًا وَأَنْحِقْنِي بِالصَّالِحِينَ
Subhanallah, you know, how many of us have gone through a period in our 20s and 30s of feeling so lost and so alone? I could tell you countless stories of when I felt that way. Matter of fact, I still, to some degree, feel that way even in my 30s, if I'm being completely honest. For me, the story served as a huge reminder to let the Qur'an be your guide and your companion on your journey through this dunya. Reflect on the ayah you're reading. Apply the key lessons in your life. Just like you're sitting here every week, taking in the stories we share with you through TDS, I want you to put the same level of dedication and tadabbur, reflection, in connecting with the words of Allah. Because we need Him. There's nothing else to say besides the fact of like, we need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need His blueprint. We need His words. We need his guidance. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this beautiful episode. I mean, I loved every minute of it. May Allah SWT make us amongst the people of Quran and keep us all on the straight path. I mean, before I go, I have to give a shout out to my wonderful team that produces incredible episode. A shout out to our guest producer, Hoya Bazaid, our lead producer, Hannah Adhan, our guest editor and first timer, Sara Imara, our graphic designer, Wasima Farah, our project manager, Mahin Khan, our sound designer, Yusuf Dawazu, and our marketing extraordinaire, Sosin Abdullahi. I'll see you guys next week, next Friday, in your ears, in your speakers. Telling you a good story. All right, guys, before you leave, I have one more thing to tell you, okay? This is a big deal, so really listen up. Now, after every episode drop, you will have, okay, listen up, special access to behind-the-scenes content, which now includes extended interview cuts, notes from the producer, and all of the archival content we didn't get to include in the episode. Imagine that. After the show is now live and exclusively on iTunes. The episodes will drop after every new episode on Friday. So go, go subscribe right now. Get access for free through an Apple podcast subscription or by subscribing for $1.99 USD monthly and annually for only $3.99 USD. Sign off, guys. It's going to be amazing.